Chapter Thirty Four of Stories of Symphonic Music. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stories of Symphonic Music by Lawrence Gilman. Section Thirty Four. Tchaikovsky. Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky, born in Votinsky, in the government of Vyatka russia may seventh eighteen forty died in st petersburg november the sixth eighteen ninety three romeo and juliet overture fantasy footnote without opus number and of footnote romeo and juliet overture fantasy after shakespeare composed in eighteen sixty nine seventy is the second of tchaikovsky's programmatic works for orchestra footnote the first of tchaikovsky's programmatic orchestra works is the virtually unknown fatum destiny to which are attached lines from a poem by batyushkov this work was composed in eighteen sixty eight and produced at moscow in march of the following year tchaikovsky destroyed the score during the seventies but the orchestral parts were preserved and the score was reconstructed from them and published in eighteen ninety six but yushkov's lines were affixed to the score after its completion on the eve of the concert at which the work was produced and a footnote there is no note of any kind attached to the score but according to responsible interpreters the music is concerned with definite aspects of shakespeare's tragedy at the start is presented the figure of friar lawrence churchly harmonies and the clarinets and bassoons later the conflict of the opposing houses expressed in a tumultuous passage full of strife and fury then follows the love scene introducing two themes of rich emotional suggestion the first of these themes the rhapsodic and song-like phrase announced by muted violas footnote see page twelve footnote and of footnote an english horn was used by tchaikovsky in the fragmentary duo from romeo and juliet found among his papers after his death where it voices these words sung by romeo o nuit d'extase arrête-toi o nuit d'amour étends ton voile noir sur nous o linger night of ecstasy o night of love spread thy dark veil over us the second theme the lovely sequence of chords scored for muted and divided violins forms in the duet the accompaniment to the impassioned dialogue of the enamoured pair in the chamber scene footnote it is known that tchaikovsky thought seriously of composing an opera based on the subject of romeo and juliet the operas of gounod and bellini he wrote in eighteen seventy do not frighten me shakespeare he truly observed is not to be found in them 
End of footnote. Following the love scene is a resumption of the stress and conflict of the first part, against which the solemn warning of Friar Lawrence protests in vain. The lovers are again evoked with more passionate insistence than before. There is a cumulative moment of arresting intensity. Then, after a brief and portentous silence, a dolorous reminiscence of Romeo's ecstatic song, now dirge-like and woeful, violins, cellos, bassoons, afterwards declaimed with greater breath in the strings with accompaniment of woodwind, horns, and harp, brings the music to a close. Fantasia, the Tempest, Opus 18. During a visit to St. Petersburg in the winter of 1872-73, Tchaikovsky begged his friend Vladimir Stasov to suggest to him a subject for a symphonic fantasia, something he preferred Shakespearean. Stasov responded by sending Tchaikovsky a letter proposing the Tempest as a theme and outlining in elaborate and enthusiastic detail the poetic and dramatic plan which he conceived should underlie the music this scheme so appealed to tchaikovsky that he announced his determination to carry out every detail and to judge from his own programme affixed to the score he actually did so stasov's remarks therefore serve as the best possible commentary on the significance of Tchaikovsky's music. He wrote as follows. I rejoice in the prospect of your work, which should prove a worthy pendant to your Romeo and Juliet. See the preceding pages. You ask whether it is necessary to introduce the Tempest. Most certainly. Undoubtedly, most undoubtedly. Without it, the entire program would fall through. I have carefully weighed every incident, with all their pros and cons, and it would be a pity to upset the whole business. I think the sea should be depicted twice, at the opening and close of the work. In the introduction, I pictured it to myself as calm, until Prospero works his spell and the storm begins but i think this storm should be different from all others all other orchestral storms in that it breaks out at once in all its fury and does not as generally happens work itself up to a climax by degrees i suggest this original treatment because this particular tempest is brought about by enchantment and not as in most operas oratorios and symphonies by natural agencies when the storm has abated when its roaring screeching booming and raging have subsided the enchanted island appears in all its beauty and still more lovely the maiden miranda who flits like a sunbeam over the island her conversation with prospero and immediately afterwards with 
ferdinand who fascinates her and with whom she falls in love the love theme crescendo must resemble the expanding and blooming of a flower shakespeare has thus depicted her at the close of the first act and i think this would be something well suited to your muse then i would suggest the appearance of caliban the half-animal slave and then ariel whose motto you may find in shakespeare's lyric at the end of the first act come unto these yellow sands after ariel ferdinand and miranda should reappear this time in a phrase of glowing passion then the imposing figure of prospero who relinquishes his magic arts and takes farewell of his past and finally the sea calm and peaceful which washes the shores of the desert island while the happy inhabitants are borne away in a ship to distant italy how faithfully tchaikovsky adhered to this admirable plan is made evident by the following program which in russian and french prefixes the score the sea ariel spirit of the air obedient to the will of the magician prospero evokes a tempest wreck of the ship which carries ferdinand the enchanted isle first timid steering of love between miranda and ferdinand ariel caliban the love-lorn couple abandon themselves to the triumphant sway of passion prospero lays aside his magical power and quits the isle the sea la tempête was begun early in august eighteen seventy three and finished three months later it is dedicated to stasov the work was produced at a concert of the moscow musical society december nineteenth eighteen seventy three in november of the following year it was performed in st petersburg stasov attended a rehearsal and wrote frankly to tchaikovsky concerning the music of which he was at least part creator i have just come from the rehearsal from saturday's concert your tempest was played for the first time rimsky korsakov and i sat alone in the empty hall and overflowed with delight your tempest is fascinating unlike any other work the tempest itself is not remarkable or new prospero too is nothing out of the way and at the close you have made a very commonplace cadenza such as one might find in the finale of an italian opera these are three blemishes but all the rest is a marvel of marvels caliban ariel the love scene all belong to the highest creations of art in both love scenes what passion what languor what beauty i know nothing to compare with it the wild uncouth caliban the wonderful flights of ariel these are creations of the first order 
in this theme the orchestration is enchanting rimsky and i send you our homage and heartiest congratulations upon the completion of such a fine piece of workmanship footnote this and the foregoing excerpt from tchaikovsky's correspondence are from the translation by mrs rosa newmarch and of footnote fantasia francesca da rimini opus thirty two tchaikovsky visited paris in the summer of eighteen seventy six and while there sketched the plan of a symphonic poem after dante francesca da rimini he had intended to write an opera based on this theme and had considered a libretto on the subject prepared by one Zvantsev, but the project was abandoned in july of that year he wrote from paris to his brother modeste early this morning i read through the fifth canto of the inferno and was beset but wished to compose a symphonic poem francesca da rimini on october twenty sixth he wrote from moscow i have just finished a new work the symphonic fantasia francesca da rimini i have worked on it con amore and i believe that my love has brought with it success however a just estimate of this work is impossible so long as it is not orchestrated and has not been played the fantasia was completed in november eighteen seventy six professor to the score is this introduction dante arrives in the second circle of hell he sees that here the incontinent are punished and their punishment is to be tormented continually by the crudest winds under a gloomy air among these tortured ones he recognizes francesca da rimini who tells her story then follows a quotation from the fifth canto of the inferno beginning with francesca's words nessun maggior dolore che ricordarsi del tempo felice nella miseria there is no greater pain than to recall a happier time in misery and ending with the concluding line of the canto that is to say twenty-one lines out of the hundred and forty comprised in the canto since it is perhaps well to recall the entire story as dante relates it in order that the scope and significance of tchaikovsky's music may be understood i quote the canto from beginning to end in the extraordinarily careful and felicitous translation of dr john a carlyle thus i descended from the first circle down to the second footnote this is carlyle's concise epitome of the experience related by dante in the fifth canto the second circle or proper commencement of hell and minus the infernal judge at its entrance it contains the souls of carnal sinners and their punishment consists in being driven about incessantly 
in total darkness by fierce winds first among them comes semiramis the babylonian queen tito cleopatra helena achilles paris and a great multitude of others pass in succession dante is overcome and bewildered with the pity at the sight of them when his attention is suddenly attracted to two spirits that keep together and seem strangely light upon the wind he is unable to speak for some time after finding that it is francesca da rimini with her lover paolo and falls to the ground as if dead after he has heard their painful story and a footnote which encompasses less space and so much greater pain that it stings to wailing there minos sits horrific and grins examines the crimes upon the entrance judges and sends according as he girds himself i say that when the ill-born spirit comes before him it confesses all and that seeing discerner sees what place in hell is for it and with his tail makes as many circles round himself as the degrees the number of grades or circles he will have to descend always before him stands a crowd of them they go each in its turn to judgment they tell in here and then are whirled down o thou who comest to the abode of pain said minos to me leaving the act of that great office when he saw me look how thou enterest and in whom thou trusted let not the wideness of the entrance deceive thee and my guide to him why criest thou hinder not his fated going thus it is willed there where what is willed can be done and ask no more now begin the doleful notes to reach me now am i come where much lamenting strikes me i am come into a part void of all light which blows like the sea in tempest when it is combated by warring winds the hellish storm which never rests leads the spirits with its sweep whirling and smiting it vexes them when they arrive before the ruin there the shrieks the moanings and the lamentation there they blaspheme the divine power i learned that to such torment were doomed the carnal sinners who subject reason to lust and as their wings bear along the starlings at the cold season in large and crowded troop so that blast the evil spirits hither thither down up it leads them no hope ever comforts them not of rest but even of less pain and as the cranes go changing their lays making a long streak of themselves in the air so i saw the shadows come uttering wails borne by that strife of winds where it i said master who are those people whom the black air does lashes 
the first of these concerning whom thou seekest to know he then replied was empress of many tongues with the vice of luxury she was so broken that she made lust and law alike in her decree to take away the blame she had incurred she is semiramis of whom we read that she succeeded ninus and was his spouse she held the land which the soldan rules that other is she dido who slew herself in love and broke faith to the ashes of sicos next comes luxurious cleopatra helena i saw for whom so long a time of ill revolved and i saw the great achilles who fought at last with love i saw paris tristan and more than a thousand shades he showed to me and with his finger named them whom love had parted from our life after i had heard my teacher name the olden dames and cavaliers pity conquered me and i was as if bewildered i began poet willingly would i speak with these two that go together and seem so light upon the wind and he to me thou shalt see when they are nearer to us and do thou then entreat them by that love which leads them and they will come soon as the wind bends them to us i raise my voice oh where it is souls come to speak with us if none denies it as doves called by desire with open and steady wings fly through the air to their loved nest borne by their will so those spirits issued from the band where dido is coming to us through the malignant air such was the force of my affectuous cry francesca speaks o living creature gracious and benign that goes through the black air visiting us who stained the earth with blood if the king of the universe were our friend we would pray him for thy peace seeing that thou hast pity of our perverse misfortune that which it pleases thee to hear and to speak we will hear and speak with you whilst the wind as now is silent the town footnote ravenna on the coast of that sea to which the po with all his streams from alps to apennines descends to rest the rain and a footnote where i was born sits on the shore where po descends to rest with his attendant streams love which is quickly caught in gentle heart took him with the fair body of which i was bereft and the manner still afflicts me love which to no loved one permits excuse from loving took me so strongly with delight in him that as thou seest even now it leaves me not love led us to one death caina the place in the lowest circle of hell 
occupied by cain and other fratricides waits for him who quenched our life these words from them were offered to us after i had heard those wounded souls i bowed my face and held it low until the poet said to me what art thou thinking of when i answered i begun ah me what sweet thoughts what longing led them to the woeful pass then i turned again to them and i spoke and begun francesca thy torments make me weep with grief and pity but tell me in the time of the sweet sighs by what and how love granted you to know the dubious desires and she to me no greater pain than to recall a happy time in wretchedness and this thy teacher knows but if thou hast such desire to learn the first root of our love i will do like one who weeps and tells footnote francesca was the daughter of guido vecchio da polenta lord of ravenna she was given in marriage to giovanni or gianciotto malatesta the eldest son of malatesta vecchio tyrant of rimini giovanni was called lo sciancato the lame or hipshot not only was he a cripple but he was much older than francesca and of stern and forbidding temper some say that he secured francesca for wife by trickery she being led to suppose that paolo il bello the young brother of giovanni a handsome man very pleasant and of courteous breeding was her future husband that she therefore permitted herself to love him and did not learn of the deception until the morning ensuing the marriage giovanni surprised his wife and his brother together and killed them both between the years twelve eighty seven and twelve eighty nine says hieronymus robius in the first edition of his historia ravenat venice fifteen seventy two in a later edition sixteen o three the date is given as early in twelve eighty nine the lovers were buried in the same grave guido novello with whom dante lived at ravenna was the son of francesca's brother ostagio da polenta and from him it is believed dante heard the tragic story l g end of footnote one day for pastime we read of lancelot footnote lancelot of the lake in the old romances of the round table is described as the greatest knight of all the world and his love for queen guinevere or gnevra is infinite galeotto Galeho, or sir galahad is he who gives such a detailed declaration of lancelot's love to the queen and is to them in the romance what the book and its author are here in dante's poem 
to francesca and paolo j a carlyle and a footnote how love constrained him we were alone and without all suspicion several times that reading urged our eyes to meet and changed the color of our faces but one moment alone it was that overcome us when we read how the fond smile was kissed by such a lover he who shall never be divided from me kissed my mouth all trembling the book and he who wrote it was a galeotto that day we read in it no further footnote this is the culmination of the scene described by francesca as it occurs in mr stephen phillips drama paolo and francesca francesca reading and guinevere turning beheld him suddenly whom she loved in her thought and even from that hour when first she saw him for by day by night though lying by her husband's side did she weary for launcelot and knew full well how ill that love and yet that love how deep i cannot see the page is dim read you paolo reading now they two were alone yet could not speak but heard the beating of each other's hearts he knew himself a traitor but to stay yet could not steer she pale and yet more pale grew till she could no more but smiled on him then when he saw that wished smile he came near to her and still near and trembled then her lips all trembling kissed francesca drooping towards him oh lancelot he kisses her on the lips and a footnote whilst the one spirit thus spoke the other wept so that i fainted with pity as if i had been dying and fell as a dead body falls the opening section andante lugubre of tchaikovsky's fantasia evokes the sinister and dreadful scene which greeted dante and virgil as they entered the region of the second circle the tempestuous winds the wailing of the damned the appalling gloom and horror of the place pale tormented shadowy figures approach the increasing number orchestral spasm follows spasm and then there is rest there is awful silence there follows a low in the whirlwind in the theme heard at the beginning horns cornet trombones announces solemnly the approach of francesca and paolo the woodwind takes the theme and the recitative leads to the second section of the fantasia andante cantabile non troppo in this section the apparition of the two lovers is brought before us this middle part is especially beautiful observes a german annotator on account of the original and vaporous accompaniment by three flutes of the chief theme the motive of the first section enters cello as the thought of remorse but a delightful melody of the english horn 
and delicate harp chords dispelled gloomy thoughts and the picture of the two happy in their all-absorbing passionate but disastrous love is maintained we seem says mrs rosa newmarch of this passage to hear the spirit voice of francesca herself from which all the horrors of hell have not taken the sweetness of human love and poignant memory when the lamenting ghosts re-enter largamente wind instruments then in the strings the lovers vanish in an orchestral storm sunsigns in his lively portraits and souvenirs make some interesting comments on the music the gentlest and kindest of men he writes has let loose a whirlwind in this work and shows us little pity for his interpreters and hearers as satan for sinners here speaks the invincible classicist a long melodic phrase the love song of paolo and francesca soars above this tempest this bufera infernale which attracted liszt before tchaikovsky and engendered his dante symphony see pages one hundred sixty four one hundred seventy three liszt's francesca is more touching and more italian in character than that of the great slavonic composer the whole work is so typical that we seem to see the profile of dante projected in it tchaikovsky's art is more subtle the outlines clearer the material more attractive from a purely musical point of view the work is better Liszt's version is perhaps more to the taste of the poet or painter on the whole they can fitly stand side by side either of them is worthy of dante End of part one.